Well, folks, we are at the end of season two, Founder Journeys. In today's final episode, we're going to really have an interesting conversation about building a company with a distributed workforce, uh, the challenges that were present before the pandemic and what's happening now, but also the additional challenges that you're faced with when your founders are in different countries as well. Three, two, one. Yo, what's up, everyone? Back at it again with another Founder Journey series. Today, we've got uh, my, my German friend, Malta. Malta's an awesome entrepreneur. We've had uh, lots of great conversations um, as I've watched him uh, build his company. He's originally from Germany, obviously, and um, uh, moved to Canada with this company, and now he's in New York. Uh, we're going to talk about this journey that he's had, this epic journey. Uh, the company was Trip Delta, and then it changed its name to Trip Combi, and then it got acquired. Uh, Malta, thanks for joining us today. Um, give us a quick background, who you are, Tell us about uh, Trip Delta, Trip Combi, and, and the company that, um, that is today, and a little bit about that industry. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, good, to, good to be on here. So, um, yeah, I'm Malta, uh, born and raised in Germany. Uh, in 2014, I moved to Vancouver. That's how I met Ray. And uh, I was actually building a travel company called, well, Trip, Dem uh, Trip Delta at the time, about a year and a half or so in, we got sued by Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines didn't like us using their name. So uh, that's uh, founder lesson number one. Uh, kind of a David versus Goliath story, right? Like, uh, yeah. So when we when we started uh, Trip Delta, the, one of the first things when we when we founded it was we talked to a lawyer about it. It was like, hey, are we going to run into any issues using the term Delta? And he's like, no, 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 no. You'll win any lawsuit. But that's the thing, you're gonna, you have to win that lawsuit. And that means there's gonna be years and years and years of litigation. So- And, and, uh, and that lawyer's probably sitting there thinking, yeah, money, yeah, money, money, because yeah, so, we're gonna have to pay for it. So we got a cease and desist. And then first thing we did was change the name. So, so that was that. Um, so we built a, um, a travel startup. And what we did was uh, we built uh, travel routing mechanisms the way that a human would. So we, we realized that in, in, I think this was in 2013, that when we were booking flights, we were starting 10, 20, 30, 40 searches. And we would combine airlines and different airports that the, the standard search engines, uh, Cheapo Air, that's where I work now, and Fairport, the company that acquired us, uh, was not doing that. Expedia, Kayak, if you went there, you had things like Hacker Fairs or something like that. But they weren't actually as powerful as um, you could be as a human being. And so we started um, with our background. So my co-founder and I, we met uh, in university doing our master's in mathematics. So we we're doing a lot of machine learning courses then. And we decided, okay, there, there's got to be a way to do this better and to do this in an automated way for for someone like my parents to be able to do this without my help or without me spending an hour, two hours finding these flights. And so, 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 we, so to break that out, down, if, mm -hmm. if I was to book a flight from San Francisco to Columbia, actually San Francisco is probably a bad idea, that's Seattle from, to Columbia, uh, Medellin, mm -hmm. and I was using Delta, if I book with Delta, it's going to give me all the Delta related flights as opposed to if I look for myself, I could probably find a cheap flight from Seattle to um, Mexico City and then Mexico City to um, uh, Medellin, two different airlines, but probably at a fraction of the cost because um, uh, the, the airlines take advantage of that, right? 
Yeah, so uh, one of my favorite routes was always, we had a, a buddy at, at launch uh, who was Australian and he would book one-way tickets because he didn't know how long he wanted to stay in Australia. And the, the one-way ticket might've been Delta, I, I forgot which one, probably not Delta, but uh, Air Canada. <laughs> Uh, was like 1200 bucks because they overcharge you when you book a, a one way. And so what we would tell you is book with WestJet from uh, Vancouver to Hawaii, spend eight hours in Hawaii or a day or two, uh, and then book from there and you could save $900 by just combining those two flights. But you'd need to know which airports to use, where to have to mm -hmm. stop over. And that's kind of the, the magic. It worked incredibly well on one way flights on round trips because you often have discounts on, on round trips that didn't work as well. But if you wanted to fly a one way, we could easily find you 60, 70, 80% discounts. Um, yeah. Especially for, for young travelers like that extra 500,000 bucks. That's, that's like all your spending money for the entire trip right there. And, and yeah, uh, I, and yeah, I never cared about uh, stopovers. For me, it was always, okay, I can actually spend an extra day. Like this was back in, in college days. I could spend an extra day in the city uh, and I had all the time in the world, but I had no money. And uh, I was like, this would actually benefit for me. Now that I'm a bit more busy uh, and I have limited vacation days, I don't know if I would book these flights again, but back then uh, that, was, that was a big thing. And that kind of gets me to a, a second lesson uh, it's just really know your audience. Um, because when we started, we always thought everyone would want to would want to book this, right? Like, hey, who doesn't want to save $300, $400? And we didn't realize that we thought the, or initially we thought the entire world would be, you know, our customer. addressable market size. Yeah, yeah customer. And then um, only through very painful conversations with uh, you and, and other people did we realize that we really needed to hone in on who is our customer, what is our addressable market, and who's actually interested in this product. And so that's kind of what we did the, that first year at, um, at Launch Academy when we, um, when we started working on our pitches, et cetera, just figuring out who's our target audience. Yeah, and I, I, t I totally remember when you came into Launch Academy, I don't think I was the one doing the screening to see um if you're if you're accepted in but what i learned about your company I was like wow that's actually an awesome product it's not for me because i do a lot of business travel and i've got all these different requirements i can't have these long stopovers but it was 10 years ago or i was i was not working and i was traveling just on my own like that'd be an awesome tool uh like, like i said like you said uh the stopovers are actually a benefit especially if you can coordinate it and you save that extra money um but it just came back to, okay, you're trying to go too broad and, and you need to really hone in on, on those younger demographics and, and cater towards them. And uh, that obviously worked because uh, Delta came knocking on your door to sue you for using their name because it was successful. If, if you weren't doing it, they wouldn't care. Yeah. But you were actually yeah. making a lot of noise and there was a lot of searches. And I remember uh, uh, your, your company was doing really well and then you got acquired and then you got shipped off to New York. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, yeah so we, we started off in, in 2014. So I moved to Canada uh, in July, 2014. And I actually moved for my now wife. She's, uh, she's Canadian, we met backpacking. One of the reasons I started this startup was I needed to find something to do while I was in, in uh, Vancouver waiting for my permanent residency. So we had lived together for a year and then uh, Canada allows to to file for a permanent residency. 
uh, doing that. But while you're waiting for it, you're not allowed to work. And so I was in Canada um, on a tourist visa, or work and travel visa or something like that. But um, it, it was nothing that would give me, you know, like a proper job opportunity. I'd just been backpacking for, for 18 months. I, I needed a proper job or uh, something to do. And so we moved to Vancouver in, in July. We started Launch Academy. And uh, we also started uh, applying for um, accelerators. We got um, the, the first product out, I think, or the, we launched with the first one around the same time. So July or August, our POC came out. Uh, we got accepted into the Microsoft Ventures Accelerator. Uh, that was an awesome, uh, awesome opportunity for us. We got our first funding through the German government, actually, for people who were uh, out of university for less than two years. You had to write a business plan, and then they would give you equity-free money uh, for, with which you could, I think it was about 150,000 Canadians uh, for three people to fund your salaries for a year. So it was a, a modest salary, plus some money that you could spend on server costs, et cetera. And then through the Microsoft Ventures Accelerator, we got $500,000 in Azure credits. So more than most startups can ever spend in, in their lifetime. So we knew we got funding for the first year or two and we stayed lean. It was um, two co-founders and I, they were working remotely out of Berlin. Uh, I was working uh, from Vancouver. We, we always called it the 24 seven coverage. <laughs> we did the, the whole startup grind, uh, always first at the office, last one out, you know, uh, working gruesome hours and, and they did the same in, in, in Berlin. So that, that was the, the first year kind of. And then once that money started running out and we had released not just a POC, but you know, like we're, we're actually live and they, the, uh, the MVP was up and running. We applied for uh, Y Combinator. We got accepted to the, the interview stage, which was super exciting. Um, and then we went to, we flew to San Francisco went through the entire interview process, prepared like crazy, thought the interview went incredibly well, <laughs> thought we were in for sure, and then we got denied. That was probably one of the, the roughest nights we've ever had, but we, we sent them an email afterwards and they were actually really nice about it. They gave us um, like a super long response and just talking us through a couple of points. And this was before Hitmonk was acquired. Uh, so we thought they were big into the travel space, but they were kind of actually actively trying to get out of it. And so, um, yeah, that's like one of the, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into like financing and investors and all this other stuff in, in, in a few minutes, but that's one of the problems yeah. is that, uh, you as an entrepreneur, you're, you're doing your homework, trying to find a good fit. Y Combinator, Hipmonk, they're like, they're in my space. This would be a great fit. I can learn so much from them. Uh, and then you apply, but there's decisions for that no behind the scenes that you don't know about. And and um, right. I, I know this firsthand. Like it, a lot of the time, it's not a knock on you and your company. It's just it's not a fit because we're trying to move away, or we've got uh, a lot of interest in health tech right now, and and uh, there's so many companies that uh, we can only accept, and uh, we'd rather focus on health tech companies and not another travel company. Not a knock on you because your company's decent but it's just not a fit for us right now and, and so how again you followed up with them they're very kind but how did you guys as a team uh deal with that rejection it was hard it was really hard um it's with startups you have so many highs 
And I loved my time being being a founder. And right now I'm an employee, but I dream of the day when I can be a founder again. And my my wife dreads it uh, because I <laughs> all I remember is those highs. The the lows are super low though. Like uh, that one was a rough one. Um, fortunately, the I was really good friends with uh, both of my co-founders. Uh, one week we've been friends for a few years. We've been studying together for years. The other one we kind of met through the startup process and uh, it ended up being uh, a match made in heaven. So the three of us, we we just, we talked it through, um, analytic, we're the three of us super, super analytical. So <laughs> analyzed the heck out of it and um, yeah, got, got through it, but it was a, a rough week or two where it, you're constantly like, are we thinking, are we doing the right thing? Like, okay, so Y Combinator doesn't think that we're the right fit. But at the end of the day, we're it kind of made us more determined to succeed. It's like we wanna we wanna show those those folks that um that they made a mistake. And they they openly say so too. Like they they love to see that they made a mistake and, and they do want to see founders succeed. So so I wanna um kind of segue here, you, you talked about how your relationship with your co-founders was solid, it was kind of match made in heaven, but we all know building a company is not easy in, in the best of times. You were split between Germany and, and Vancouver. And um, again, I, I know a little bit behind the scenes, but like there's, there's some issues and, and uh, challenges that you have to go through when you're building a, a, a distributed team like that walk us through that like how did you guys make decisions how did you guys uh resolve conflicts yeah so the i think the most important one is just be a good communicator communicate openly if something bothers you we have the, the policy of don't hold back just we let the other person know when something wasn't going the way that we expected it to uh, we were on calls constantly uh slack was probably the, the best tool that could have come out. I think it came out that year, 2014, was that around there? Yeah. It couldn't have been any better for us. That was, the like I was on Slack constantly when I wasn't, I was uh, on the software engineering side, when I wasn't programming on, on Slack constantly and then uh, Skype calls all the time. Uh, but we did yell at each other probably once, twice, three times a day, just be, because there was so much tension going on. You're, you're constantly at that, you know, in, in, frustration level when, when things aren't going well like it was talking about the highs and the lows a little bit and and so you're you're constantly on edge and so it was really important to me to um to have founders and co-founders that uh came to visit and i visited them and we could just hang out and drink beers and, and have good conversations and we could yell at each other and then two minutes later we'd be best friends again and just talk about other stuff we were really able to compartmentalize this is work and it has nothing to do with you as a person. Uh, you're awesome. And you're, you know, one of my best friends and you're the person that I spent most of my day with. And so you really need to be comfortable uh, around that person and just really get along great. And like, you fight and then two minutes later, it's like, okay, let's go for lunch. And, yeah. Uh, it sounds that, easy to just term. say open communication and, and talk, but it, it takes effort. And, um, all parties need to be able to uh, be willing to buy into it and, and be that open uh, with their feelings and, and there's issues and um, the grievances and whatnot. Um, what would you say would, was um, 
kind of a defining moment for you to, to recognize, okay, the, this is, this is somebody that can definitely be a co-founder or somebody I can build a company with. We're kind of going way back here to when you guys <laughs> were just starting to connect, but like, what, what, yeah. what is it that uh, rung in with you that, okay, Hey, this is somebody that I'd want to build a business with. So Max, that's the, the co-founder that I studied with. I think bef right before we started the company, we went on a backpacking trip through South Africa and we rented a car and we went from uh, Johannesburg to um, Kruger National Park, which is, I don't know, a four or five hour, six hour drive, something like that. And we started talking uh, about a controversial topic right at the start. And we pretty much kept yelling at each other because we thought the other person was an idiot uh, <laughs> right then. And then up until the point where we arrived and then we just, took our bags and just said, okay, what do we do now? And we both forgot about it. It was, no one got personal. Everything was about the topics and, and what we wanted to do. And so at that moment, I really knew like, okay, this is a guy where, you know, like an argument is an argument and you can just go there. And shortly thereafter, we decided to, um, to start looking into startups and, and, and to do that. And then with, with the other founder, he kind of stumbled into into the situation and talking about perfect matches, we actually had two more co-founders along the way. We started the company with someone who was a friend of a friend uh, who ended up not doing any work. Uh, he was working remotely from us and we were constantly trying to reach him. He wouldn't answer our messages. And then at some point um, it got pretty ugly and it was a pretty, pretty ugly conversation uh, where I made mistakes and he made mistakes and we ended up splitting and we decided to work on something else. And then we got a second person on board. So this was part of that funding round that the German uh, government gave us. You didn't get the money, the person got the money. So we had to switch out that person in the, with the German government, with the funding. We got a second person in who we found through, again, friends of friends, who then backed out after two weeks because they'd gotten into a PhD program. And so, you know, months into this process, we, we have already lost two co-founders. And then we found Nicholas. And after four months of, uh, of them working together, we had a, a clause in, in our founders agreement that by December 31st, we would say, okay, this works or it doesn't because we've been burned so many times. And we had no idea what we were doing, no idea what we were doing. Right. So we had all these weird clauses in, in our contracts in there. It's like where you're not like because we were traveling so much and both Max and I were such crazy travelers. It's like, okay, he wanted the ability to work anywhere in the world. And this was at a time where no one was really yeah. working remotely. So I he was like, I want to go to Nepal and work from Nepal. And I was like, Okay, you need to work in a location where you have at least this much Wi-Fi or your connection has to be this fast. And we had all these insane conditions that we put into like a contract and then actually sign. So even um, to that fine detail, like, Hey, you got to make sure you have Wi-Fi connectivity X number of days a week. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, we were so green. We had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> so that's actually a, an interesting segue. So you, so you guys were avid travelers and you, yep. uh, obviously from Germany and now went to Canada and then now you're in New York. Tell us about, 
well, you kind of touched on traveling for your personal life. What, what does traveling for business look like and, and building a company in, in three different countries? Um, walk us with that journey. Yeah, so first advice I want to give, don't get into travel. It is the worst industry. <laughs> Especially in the right now. Margins, I don't think they're doing too well. Especially right now. Margins, margins are slim. It's hyper competitive. Everyone thinks, hey, I can reinvent travel. Everything has been tried. Pretty much everything. We got incredibly lucky that we were as successful as we were. Uh, we got a, a niche that just ended up working. I don't, I don't know if we could have done it ourselves if we hadn't been acquired. Just looking at the numbers now and knowing what I know now, and I've been in this industry for, for a long time now. Um, so don't get into travel. That's my first advice. Uh, <laughs> um, and then how do you build a business? It's just be really passionate about something. Find something that you really want to work on um, and then execute the heck out of it. We made plenty of mistakes, but we pivoted quickly and, and early and we realized this was we were not going in the right direction and we asked everyone you know under the sun if they could help us and here and this and there and like, you were so great at that too like you had your your uh, your mentoring hours and I sat down with you and then uh, a few other folks at launch where any opportunity that I could get I would just talk to people and try to to reiterate through the product and, and through the thought process. I had never worked uh, in, a, in a larger company, so I actually had no idea how any of these processes worked anywhere. And I was just trying to get constant feedback, uh, both from mentors as well as from the community. Uh, just, yeah, just experimenting and, and, and trying to get things done there. And, and do you find any, like, can, can you pinpoint any, obviously the, the advantage, oh, I want to get into the three different countries, like Germany, Canada, mm. US, G7 countries both have very strong tech ecosystems and, and economies, but what are some of the differences, uh, good and bad, between the three? Uh, you're now in New York and, and there's mm -hmm. um, uh, lots of opportunities there, but uh, it's not easy no matter where you go. Germany, you had the leg up with the financing and, and that whole structure mm -hmm. there, but um, yeah, just walk us through your opinion of, of the three different countries and, and what was good and what was bad. Yeah, so let's start with Germany. Funding was great. That was easy to get. And then it stops. The bureaucracy is a nightmare. You have to go to a specific type of lawyer. It's, an, it's a notary, but in Germany, only very few lawyers are actually allowed to be a notary. And then you have to pay thousands of dollars to incorporate even the smallest of companies. It gets incredibly complicated. For everything that you want to do, you have to go to that person. You have to sign a bunch of paperwork there is or at the time there was no online taxation helping help tools or anything you always had to do so much paperwork it was a pain in the in the butt to you probably had to do it in person so you, you couldn't just I, exactly and it wasn't me it was my so we were incorporated in germany uh so one of my co-founders he had a, he had a background in finance he was responsible fortunately i didn't have to deal with that stuff he, he had to deal with that but it was an absolute nightmare the bureaucracy just kills you and the i'm not i think they they're changing some laws now and they have changed uh, a few things but things such as esops don't exist in germany uh you, giving your employees uh shares is not something that the german tax law is actually meant to you know to do 
And so it's just really, really hard to build a good startup culture the way that uh, Canada or the, the US have. And so I was always really, really uh, jealous of the, the situation as it was in, in Canada, where it was so easy you just, you know, to register a company, to, to work with the, um, with the government, they're, they're with IRAP and, and all of the other um, options that the Canadian government is really trying to, to help Canadian entrepreneurs to, uh, to succeed. And that was really awesome to see just to, you know, be able to do that. But at the same time, uh, at least in, in 2014 to 2018, the financing situation wasn't as great in Vancouver. It was hard to get money in Vancouver. It felt like uh, you have all this oil money <laughs> and you have all these, um, these oil people who want to invest in, in startups or in industries that they understand. Uh, and unless you already had a big funding round, they weren't interested in, in you. And, and so you had a lot of those people. And so whenever you wanted to raise money in Vancouver, you kind of went to the, the Valley. It felt like uh, if you want to, if you want to raise actual money, you either have to go to Toronto or you have to go to, um, to, Seattle, San Francisco, San Francisco. to the Valley. Yeah. yeah to, to get money. And then, um, but the big advantage is that you had super, you have super highly talented people with great immigrant and great immigration laws in Canada. So it's actually really easy to, to build an amazing team for a lot less money than you would. And that segues to the U S and to uh, New York and San Francisco. It was looking at the salaries. It was insane. Um, like, I mean, right now everything is, is a bit up in the air, but, um, if you're, if you're an internet Google, you make a hundred thousand us. And how was I su supposed to compete with that kind of salary with the, the money that you, that we were raising? Um, and even if I could, why would I go to the U S why would I do that? Why wouldn't I build a startup in Vancouver where I can get top notch talent, amazing people, world-class, you know, city and outdoors and, and everything that I, uh, that a person can, can ask for. Uh, and I can I can build it there for you know sixty cents on the dollars, forty cents on the dollars, depending on what your your tax strategy was and how much funding you you were able to get through um, shred or or was it IRAP? Yeah, I think yeah, that, IRAP. That's, so that's that's for the audience. Uh, shred IRAP. That's a lot of non-diluted financing, meaning that it's um, dollars that come into your company that doesn't uh, uh, take up equity. And so it's government tax credits, uh, grants that help you build innovation in Canada. But um, as much as I love waving the Canadian flag and, and uh, putting Vancouver on the map internationally as a destination for tech, you still can't replace um, the impact San Francisco and New York have as, as major cities in the world and, and um, a draw of talent and, and whatnot because um, the, the history and legacy. So, you are now in, in New York. What are, even though um, you got acquired, you're, you're still operating there and functioning there. Like what, what, what are still some of the highlights that you love about New York and, and the tech industry that's there? So the- You're speechless. The hustle in New York, <laughs> yeah. The hustle in New York is just amazing. I just love it here. I'm a, I would say a very high energy person and I just love how intense people are in this city and everyone is trying to succeed. Everyone is hustling and you can tell it from, from 
pitch events that you go to, tech events that you go to, the entire industry and the opportunities that you have to meet people, CEOs of big companies or uh, just the, the tech scene in general. If you, if you need to, to get to know someone, chances are that person is either in New York or in San Francisco. And when we went to, to Y Combinator and we were just there and we, we got introduced to so many people in just a few days where it's just like, okay, this is incredible. It's just mm -hmm. that access to not just capital, but talent and knowledge and, and people who have gone through this, right? Uh, people who have built companies from uh, two people to 20,000 people. And you can meet these people and they're willing to talk to you and they're, they're ready to help you out and they're, they're willing to make introduction. Uh, that sort of thing makes me very, very bullish, both on San Francisco and New York as the tech hubs for the future too, where it's, yeah, you can work remotely, but if you want to, to learn from the people who've done it before, you probably have to be in these people and uh, in the cities and to, uh, to be able to, to run into them and, and to meet up with them. Yeah. The, the concentration of, of successful people, but also knowledgeable people, it, it's, it's, irreplaceable like i call it the big fish small pond like you can be a big fish in vancouver but once you go into new york or san francisco you are a smaller fish and that's where you're going to get the most learning and growth uh, uh, and um the beauty of the tech industry is that people are willing to extend a hand and help like getting um, a coffee or, or getting some feedback and advice people are a lot more willing to uh, give you some time and, and um, feedback than a lot of other industries. Um, can we kind of touch on on that? Uh, I, I focus on New York because you're there right now. Like, what does that look like for you? What what type of opportunities do you get there that you don't think you can get in other markets? Well, it's besides access to capital. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a big one, right? Like like yeah. experience around funding and financing and. Um, and doing the right thing, you know, experience people who have gone through 20, 30, 40, 50 funding rounds and just know how not to screw the founder and, and to put terms in that are actually founder friendly and who are, who are willing to go to bat for you and to yeah just really help you out. So that's one. And, and then just the, the, the sheer number of tech events that you can go to, the, the big companies putting up. Uh, events, the AWS offices or Microsoft or Twitter, Google, et cetera, where you either have a tech event or just something else that is happening and you can just go and experience it and have tech talks by the best of the best. And then you mingle and you talk to people and you realize, oh, wow, this person is that and that, you know, it's just, I know this person from Twitter. Like I've, I've, <laughs> I, I've, I follow I'm literally following right? this person. Yeah. And you just you get that access and you talk to, to, to these people and you see not just from the distance, but you're, you're kind of right there and you can actually, you're in the room with you them. Can actually connect. Yeah. So that's actually a great um, topic to kind of jump in on. Like right now we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and everybody's working from home as you're working from home. I'm, I've got my green screen on, I'm actually at home, but that is my office, real office behind me. Um, you can't replicate those type of experiences. Like go, you talked about going to pitch events and, and watching people pitch and seeing investors in the room and other tech leaders in the room. Where do you see that going? Is that going away? Is, is it going to be um, back in force once um, uh, we kind of run our course through the pandemic? Or 
Is there a hybrid? Like, what do you envision? For a founding team, I would say there's nothing like a team of three, five, 10 people in the same room or in a small office, in my opinion, will always out execute people who are remotely because of the short communication that you can have, because you have the ability to whiteboard, uh, because of the camaraderie that comes with it, because with being in person. Uh, yeah, this Zoom call is great, but I'll be 10 times more tired after these 30 minutes than I would ever be if we sat in front of each other at an office. And it's, there's so many things going on with remote work and don't get me wrong. I love remote work. It's, it's amazing, but I only want to do it, you know, one or two, two days a week. But I think that a big advantage that if we move to a more remote work, you know, like most companies going to, let's say most companies would go to, you're going to be at home four days a week and you come in one day a week. Startups who are co-located are going to have a huge advantage over those who are not. And yeah, you'll always have startups or companies like WordPress or GitLab that are fully remote and that are doing amazing. But if I, if I look at the 80-20 rule, 80% of the startups that are co-located are going to do a lot better than um, um, than remote startups. And then you have to, yeah. And then you have to 20% of the remote that are doing better. So. Yeah. And when you do look at GitHub, like that, that's been ingrained into their culture right from day one. And so um, companies now that are trying to make this transition, it, it, it's not realistic because um, the, there, there's a lot of stopgap solutions that you can put in place, but it, it, it becomes so difficult to get the same type of productivity and the same type of culture and, and camaraderie and what you're talking about uh, earlier um, when people are, are remote and there's so many other distractions, especially if kids at home or your TV is 10 feet away from you or your Peloton bike is just sitting there calling your name. Um, but what, what, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed in my company, for example, is that, decisions that used to be made between meetings. It's just like, hey, do you have five seconds? These conversations are not happening anymore. And so oftentimes I would be able to get things done in just a really quick conversation with the CIO, the CTO. I just walk into their office like, hey, is this okay? And then it's good. Now it has to be an email, it has to be a Slack message. It has to be uh, an actual meeting. And it just prolongs everything that we do because you have to jump through more hoops and. Yeah, the, one, of the I mean, I, yeah. one of the things I've seen uh, firsthand is, is you've got, especially with younger employees, people that are new to the workforce or kind of working their way up, right now, they can learn through osmosis by just being in the room when conversations are happening, decisions are being made, you're seeing somebody, how they're actually solving a problem, the, the workflow that they go through to, to come to that conclusion. But when you're in a remote work situation, that happens outside of your field of view. It's happening while that person's in their own, own home. They're, they're not on Zoom. It's, it's happening um, uh, uh, totally uh, without you having any visibility or knowledge of how to, how to solve that problem. And so that then has this trickle down effect where that person being promoted becomes that much harder because they don't know how to solve those problems or they don't um, uh, have the logic or that information. And so training people uh, promoting people from within all just becomes that much harder because these decisions all get done in isolation. And I don't see that going away from the work from home. Um, the hybrid rule, two days in the, in the office or three days in the office, uh, the rest of the time at home, I think that's probably 
more akin to what we're going to see moving forward. But that time in the office is going to be far more structured or collaborative as opposed to, yeah, I'm just going to the office, go work in my cubicle. Yeah. I mean, you, you touch a really good point there too with promotions. You want to be close to power if you, if you want to climb up the career ladder. Now, that doesn't really matter in a, in a company that's small, that's say 10, 20, 50, 100 people. But once you become, you know, a bigger corporation, these things matter and you need FaceTime with people who can push for you to get that promotion. And it's not just your direct manager who you might have a daily call with. It has to be, you know, the VP, the, the senior director, the SVP, the CTO who needs to see you, know you and put a, a face to the name and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Mike really needs that promotion or, or yeah. Sarah really should get that promotion. And I'm not sure we're in the beginning of the, let's call it an experiment um, of this global um, experiment. And um, I'm not sure that um, we've, we've solved these issues yet. Yeah. And then that's, that's one side of it within an organization, but then you also get into the whole other dynamics of when you have um, two companies trying to work together, partnerships, relationships, like the old school mentality of decisions are made or partnerships are made on the golf course. Um, Right. partnerships and, and deals are made having drinks or beers um, after work right that whole dynamic starts to disappear because what how many decisions are made by a zoom as opposed to um, it, it is a new reality and so you have to kind of default to it. And a lot of people I've heard say oh I've, I've got so much more time in my day but at the end of the day we're, we are humans and, and we have to have that human interactions especially if it's a big deal like you want to have trust and you want to be able to look somebody in the eye. Um, especially I was talking to another founder that's going through an acquisition right now and, and their partners want to fly in to meet them. And, and they're actually willing to do, put up with the quarantine restrictions and, and mandates to, to go through because it's a big deal for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you so, really, yeah. You really need to know who you're, you're working with there, like especially in such a uh, high stakes situation. But overall, like first four weeks of, of lockdown, like here in New York, lockdown was, was pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many happy hours we had, but since I don't think we had a single Zoom happy hour since mid-April, you know, <laughs> people get, yeah. get tired of it. <laughs> and, and so that was a very short lived experiment i don't think anybody liked those zoom happy hours <laughs> but they're so important they, i i want to get today i used to have i used to go to happy hour with my coworkers. um now i don't and so you're missing out on a lot of the relationships uh, relationship building that you can have uh, by by being co-located and i'm sure that some some people have have solved this but uh, overall i i just see you know, huge advantages of being in an office when you're in a smaller group, especially when you're trying to solve one specific problem and do it yeah. better than anyone else. Well, the other side of it, is, we'll kind of wrap up here soon, but it's a, it's a serendipitous moment when, like how many startups were started because two employees of a larger company were shooting the shit over foosball or um, uh, always having lunch together and, and talking about big problems in the world. And this epiphany moment was, hey, we can actually create a solution for this or or even talking about a challenge that they're having at work and there's no solution within work and a startup idea pops up. How does that happen when those two employees are only connecting on Zoom and, and not having those foosball right. moments or those uh, 
coffee shop moment. Yeah, or or like slightly adjacent, but all the founders at at launch used to go to lunch together. Like not always the same groups, but that's how you would uh, talk about, or that was the time when you would talk about how did you get funding? How did you do this? You'd answer so many questions. How are you doing? Like, how's the hiring going there? And you would use these opportunities to to figure out a lot of the stuff that you were going through. And you found people who were going through the exact same thing. And you weren't as alone. If I was talking, just talking to my friends, hardly any of them were founders had gone through the, the experience. And so they had no idea what I was going through. And so you, you kind of need to build that support network too, especially when you're a founder early, early on. At some point when you have a bigger team, your team can be that, that support mechanism too, or your co-founders are. But for me, who was technically not a solo founder, but in Vancouver I was, it was a really big support yeah. system too. Yeah. Malta, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, I want to kind of wrap it up with uh, two questions. The first one is, what tool or app have you found instrumental to your founder journey, whether it's on your personal side or on a business side, something that uh, you think our audience would be um, interested in checking out on, on for themselves? Well, the number one tool that I uh, gave a shout out to earlier was Slack. That had been, must have been the, the number one productivity tool where we could just do, do everything. And then I'm a huge fan of uh, Notes app. Uh, Rome is is the one that I'm I'm currently using. So if you want to check that one out, um, that 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 really helps me. Yeah, so that's one that we've heard a couple times now. Uh, and so just to be clear, it's a desktop app. It's not a mobile app. Uh, what's the URL? Rome. Co. Rome. Co. Yeah, you can Google yeah, it. I forgot. It's, it's, yeah. it's not the food delivery. <laughs> it's not the food delivery company. It's Rome uh, note taking app. Uh, definitely Google it. You can even Bing it. You can use Bing search engine still live. <laughs> That's like an inside joke uh, that I keep going back to, but uh, yeah, you can uh, definitely check that one. That's somebody that some, a few people have talked about that one. Everybody's talked about Slack. Like uh, I use Slack. Our team uses Slack. We love Slack. It's a Vancouver company. I should get them to sponsor this, but uh, Rome is something <laughs> that we should definitely uh, check out. Uh, I've heard a few people talk about that one. All right. And last, last uh, question for you is what advice would you give to an entrepreneur, new, old, seasoned entrepreneur, first time entrepreneur about building a company in today's world? Now, uh, you've obviously started your company a, a few years ago, but um, you're still tied into the startup world and you still see things happening. Like what, what, what would you have loved to have known that can help you today? Or, or what are you seeing in the environment that you think our audience should know about uh, as they're going on their journey? Yes. So I think the biggest learning uh, around marketing that we had was really know how to get to your audience. And you probably have to be really creative in how you do it. We always thought that by having the cheapest prices, people would come to us. That doesn't happen. So you need to figure out a way how to talk to your consumers. Uh, we were a B2C uh, company, so we needed to talk to consumers. And once we had figured out, okay, we actually do need to get that connection with the user. We actually, one of our mentors was a huge PR company. Like he, he was the owner of a huge PR company in Germany and we went to him for advice. And after about a month or two of trying what he, he was uh, recommending, we realized he was working at a different scale. What he was recommending did not work for us. 
it just didn't they don't write any you know folders of press releases or, or any of that you kind of have to hustle and figure out a way to to get your product out there to to get people like either like some sort of virality level or get journalists to be interested help them out help other people help you and and i think that was the biggest learning that we had just from the oh everyone's just going to come to us to oh we need everyone to to learn about us to okay how do we actually talk to users and for us it was a lot about uh proactive outreach from our side talking to hundreds and thousands of users to figure out what they wanted and, and just really trying to get that go-to-market strategy right yeah know your audience it's it's as critical as any other part of your business you really need to know, know who your audiences are and what the value propositions that you have that are going to resonate with them and that's what you market not a press release talking about the cheapest prices unless that is the key value that people are looking for and if that is the case it's a shitty business to be in you're basically on a, yeah. on a fight towards the bottom right yeah yeah awesome all right we got one last thing and this is uh, an opportunity for you to be the entrepreneur that you are what can our audience do for you you've been really generous with your time and advice and, and insight uh here's a chance for you to have your call to action what can our audience do for you yeah, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, connect with me. Uh, I'd love to uh, give back to the community, help other entrepreneurs out. Uh, if you have a great idea and you just want to talk about it, or if you have any tech questions, I'm in the in the data realm and the software engineering realm. If you just uh, if you're unsure about something uh, or immigration in the US or in Canada, uh, I, I've learned a bunch. Uh, just reach out, talk to me and um, yeah, reach out. Yeah, definitely one of the smartest and one of the nicest guys that we ever had at Launch Academy and um, happy to call you my friend. Uh, hope to get back to New York soon and we can hit up another comedy club and uh, late night debauchery like we did last time. Uh, but uh, Malta, awesome talking to you. Thanks for taking the time, sharing your insights. Uh, great conversation and um, yeah, take care. Be safe. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. Awesome. We'll cut it there. Add in whatever special graphics and stuff we need at the end. That was good. I, I really like that. Um, uh, hopefully you did too. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I did. I did. Sorry. I think I went on a few tangents there where you kind of. No, that's exactly what we want. Yeah. No, but that's exactly okay. what we want. Like it's, it's, it's a flowing conversation. All right. Like, like, last thing I want is here's a question. Okay. You answer. Here's another question. Okay. You answer. Uh, that, that gets boring. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I love how you honed in my uh, my pitch, how you helped me with my pitch, because <laughs> I, I didn't do the elevator pitch. I went all out and just, yeah. Yeah, no. That, Good old that's, Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. I forgot that, uh, or I didn't, I didn't bring up the time that you told me that I had the worst pitch in the world. <laughs> the, wor the worst pitch you had ever seen. I should have brought that one up. I don't I remember that. <laughs> uh, that was you and uh, I think Charlene. I think you did a a oh, pitch we day did like or a pitch, pitch event. Yeah. Pitch event like early on pitch training, and then it was me, Shu, and I think Jer pitching, and you just ripped me a second one. <laughs> <laughs> I did win pitch well, day. Hopefully that was a good one. Now, so. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was a good lesson. Like you need to go through something like that in a safe environment, I think. Yeah. So that one was that one was good. You don't want to do that on stage in front of 200 people, but in a room with 10 people, I think that's a good experience. Well, we're still recording, so we might edit this back in. Sure. Sure. Um, 
no, that was actually, yeah, I, I remember those pitch days and they were, uh, it's one of those things, it's, it's, unless you've gone up on stage, you don't know how difficult it is. And then uh, you think it's easy, but then as soon as you do, you realize, oh shit, this is hard. And uh, you have to refine And that goes back to the whole question about knowing your audience and knowing what the value propositions, you need to get that across in, in, a, in a really quick format so that you can get that second meeting. And uh, yeah, so so it sounds like it worked out because you guys are uh, doing well. What's uh, Jer up to these days? Is he still in Ireland? He's in Ireland. Uh, he switched companies. He's uh, so he he gave up on the startup world. I think he was already working for that uh, health doc, like the teledoc yeah. company, for for a while. Telemedicine. And yeah. he switched. Yeah, telemedicine. He switched jobs uh, a few months ago. I think. I think I. We do text every once in a while, but it's definitely not as much as, as we used to. So it's mainly Alex and Dan that I, I talk to most these days, but yeah, I still lots people. Yeah, Dan gave a shout out to one of his friends up in Ireland, another one out in New York, and, and you guys don't see each other often, but you guys still stay very well connected. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, thanks for your time, man. And if there's anything that we can do for you, just, just shout out, give us a shout. and. Um, yeah, hopefully we do get to hang out and have some beer soon. Yeah, would love to. All right. Awesome. Thanks, man. Launch Ventures is for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Founder Journeys, please like, share, follow, and check out our LinkedIn bio for all the other good stuff.